0: Welcome to the weekly sermon by Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our special speaker.
1: This guy is, he this is such—he a class act. I love Mr. Ray Bench. He is uh, from Midland, Michigan. Those of you who have been at Generations for a while, you've seen him before and you love him like we do. He's always been a friend of this ministry for years and years and years, for many years, uh, he was uh, associated with uh, Mark Barclay's ministry and uh, just such a humble servant there. And then God calls him out to just do some mighty things all by himself. Uh, Many Waters International Ministries is the name of his. Uh, it's online. You can go look it up, Many Waters there. Um, but he has been doing ministry for over 25 years now, right? I mean, you've been doing all kinds of stuff. And what I love about Mr. Bench is, he is he, he's, he's wise And he doesn't always have to tell you how wise he is. He just is humble about it. He's just so amazing. But he has a specialty. He has this, like, gift and anointing, I don't know, but to, to help inspire people like you and me to want to get involved. He not only preaches the gospel, but he inspires people like you and me to get involved in being servants. In the ministry, servants in the kingdom, right? That's what we talk about here all the time. We want to be more like Jesus. Everything, we come to church so we can learn how to help each other become more like Jesus. This guy today, if you will sit with your ears open, he will help you become more like Jesus, all right? So, can we just give him a huge Spring Texas welcome to Brother Ray Bitch? Hallelujah, everybody. Well,
0: isn't the Lord good? Go ahead and stand. Let's give him a praise this morning. Stand with me if you would. Come on. Raise your hands to heaven. Lord, we just pause all our time. During the week, it's this, that, the other. There's stress, pressure, bills, Not kids, not that they're pressure, but every now and then they're not the blessing we quite thought. And traffic, people, decisions. This is our time now to be with you. All that, we're not gonna get our Marys and our Marthas all mixed up. Push all of that to the side. This is our time to be with you, the head of the church. You are officially our first, our priority. You are precious to us, and what you have to say matters to us. Thank you, Lord, for this great church and all that these people do to help build your kingdom, both here in America and overseas. Bless them, bless the givers, bless the goers, And help us, Lord, to impact every person we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ before the last trumpet blows. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Go ahead and be seated. Shake someone's hand if you don't know them. Shake their hand if you do know them. Don't shake their throat if you don't love them. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you bring a Bible this morning? Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 3. We're going to get right into the scriptures. I'm so honored to be here. Acts, chapter 3. You turn, I'll talk, and we will all get something done. Hallelujah. I brought some CDs with me. If you like one, they're back there. Hallelujah. Uh, If you don't want one, they're back there. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Two-thirds of all I preach on is on the on the ministry of helps. I, I enjoy being around people who want to do something, not just know something. Amen? I used to say, I don't need another supervisor in my life telling me what to do. You want to help me do it, hallelujah, you're my best friend. I don't need any more finger pointers, I'm good. Positions taken, praise God, amen. But um, So we, we appreciate that. But I came across a teaching a while back called propitiation. Sounds like a big word, makes you think it's going to rain. No, that's precipitation. <laughs> this is called propitiation. And I really wasn't that up to date on what it all was. Romans chapter 3 says that Jesus has become our propitiation. Well, what does that all mean? In the Old Testament, Jesus, you know, Jesus heals the leper. He says, now go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice of Moses. That sacrifice can be found in Leviticus 14. What they were to do was to take two doves, they killed one in in an earthen vessel we would call like a clay pot. Then they take that blood, and they would sprinkle it on the other, sprinkle it on the leper, and then the, the one dove is let go. And it creates this picture that for the freedom of one, the other stays back and dies. Jesus Christ became the dove that died. So you became the one that got let go free. This picture recreates itself from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They sinned. They covered themselves with fig leaves. God said that's not going to work. There still has to be, this is what people don't get, there still has to be a righteousness of God where some, somebody has to pay for what was done. Does that make sense? If, if you steal my car and you come up and say, I'm sorry, that's okay, where's my car? Right? We, you can't just... We, we would be a lawless nation if we just turned and act like it never happened. Something You know what I'm talking about? And so we find this pattern all the way through, and that's why... Sometimes people quote from the book of Isaiah where God says, I'll no longer be angry with you. That's true. What do you do with the New Testament verses where John calls these that deny the Lord children of wrath? How is there wrath if there's no anger anymore? Why does Revelation talk about the wrath of God being poured out? Why does, Gen- why does 1 Thessalonians 1 say, talk about escape the wrath to come if there's no longer any anger? Amen. So, see, you have to square how all of these things work out. Once you see it, you'll always see it. I don't think it'll ever be a problem. This is not a big, deep, you know, Greek and Hebrew study. If you want a big Greek Greek and Hebrew study, you're going to have to get somebody a lot smarter than me in this pulpit. Hallelujah. But the truth is, is, until we understand how God works, Jesus said what? He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What's that mean? I came to pay the price for what was done wrong. We can't all pretend nothing wrong happened. That's why after you get born again, to stay and keep living like you never met the Lord, something's wrong with that picture. Amen? And an appreciation of what truly happened at Calvary for you. Can you say amen? amen. So this is, this is back there, you know, if you'd like to get some. Like I say, two-thirds of everything I preach is all on the ministry of help, so that's all back there. But that's something I've enjoyed studying, and I offer it to the body of Christ. Amen? Um, I'm good. I think just the one. things, brother. I think we'll, we'll go with that. Did you bring a Bible? Right? We're at the book of Acts. Let's study here in Acts chapter 3 a little bit about the apostle Peter. And uh, some of the things that, that we can glean from these scriptures. Is that all right? Um, this is Acts chapter 3. We'll look at Peter and John. You know, they're coming to the, they're coming to the gate beautiful to pray. And they happen upon this lame man. Verse 4. And fixing his eyes on him with with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention and expecting to receive something from them. In other words, he's a beggar. And there is no government assistance in this day. If God's people don't take care of this man, he starves to death. Right? Because he can't get up and work for himself. There is no wick. The Romans sure don't care if you die. So it's up to the benevolence of God's people, the Jewish people, to take care of this man. So that's why he's there waiting as people are coming and going from the temple, what we would call the church. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you love the miracle working power of God? Don't you want it back in the church to a stronger degree than what we've seen? Amen. I I long for these kinds of miracles to get back in the house, praise God, and outside the church. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I'm glad he didn't just go home. I got my miracle, now I'm gone. See you later. He wasn't a taker. He went in and said, my God, thank you. There's something about a grateful heart. Praise God. Let's read on. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I guess so. I mean, if, he, if you walk by somebody just outside the doors of this church, and you know, you know them because they're there kind of yearly when you come and go, and all of a sudden, now he's up front leaping and dancing and praising God. And you, it's a bona fide. This guy wasn't faking. He had an absolute miracle. Wouldn't you be glad for him? Verse 11. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, I guess you would hold on, huh? If you never walked before. If you've never been over three foot tall and now you're five foot something, amen, you'd hold on to somebody too. Praise God. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel? Look at us so intently. And then he preaches this wonderful sermon. Let's go down to chapter 4, verse 1. You can read that sermon later on your own, but for the sake of time, we're going to move on. 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being disturbed that they taught the people and preached, In Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. So here's here's what's happening. If you've been to Israel, I know Pastor Hale and Miss Monica have been over there. Those of you who have been. The temple, what is left, we have an outer wall still constructed. It's about a half mile square. It's a good sized place. It's flattened all across there except for now what is a mosque where the temple used to stand in that area, but you can still get a picture for what was there. All these people are coming and going because it's walled all the way around. There's only about four entrances for them to get in. So they come past this entrance, they come past this man, and and he gets healed. Then they bring him in, and the problem is that what we would call like the temple security, like if you go to a baseball stadium, it has its own security team, right? The temple has its own security team, and they realize this crowd is forming, but it's not forming inside where they're supposed to form. They're outside listening to Peter and John preach. Peter and John aren't just preaching, Peter and John are preaching Jesus. Now, this is a problem because the people inside who run the temple don't, they kill Jesus. They don't want any preaching about the guy they killed. Not only that, they have paid Judas. 30 pieces of silver, now they own a field they don't want. They have to pay the Roman soldiers, don't you know that bothered them? In order to lie about the resurrection, imagine, you talk about standing there looking stupid, saying there's nothing to see behind me. <laughs> no, that light, earthquake, nah. Just a bad day. Mother Nature just having a bad day. There's people coming out of the graves. This can't be like every other person getting killed around here. I just saw Aunt Martha. I haven't, she's been dead 35 years. Nah, he's just one of us. Whatever. They, they have been trying to stop people talking about Jesus as the Messiah. You know, for 400 years since the closeout of the Old Testament, there's been one thing they're looking for. He comes, and they kill him. Now, standing in the, the square of the temple are two men who used to be fishermen. Do you understand how far out of his element Peter is? I, I, I said it before, I'll say it again. If you catch one fish, you know what you smell like? Fish. I remember one of my uncles one time when I was a kid, he he, he had caught a, what we would call a carp. And, a you know, just ditch fish. And... He was going to just take it home and get rid of it, but my father, being a depression kid, we saved everything, right? So we had to save it for fertilizer, whatever. (laughs) So I'm on the back of the wagon, Dad's on the tractor, and I'm playing with this fish on the wagon all the way home. My mom wouldn't even let me in the house. (laughs) My dad had to hose me off outside with well water. Well water's cold. One fish. You know what Peter and John were like when Jesus met them? I want to thank God today that he's a God of the common man. You don't have to be. There's nothing wrong with the doctors, the lawyers, the highly sophisticated, the educated. Not against any of that. But I relate to the common man. Peter and John don't know anything other than John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We were just common people. We were... Working our jobs, we were fishing, and this preacher came through. And he said, if you'll let me use your boat, I'd appreciate it. And Peter said, I'm busy, man. I fish all night. I ain't." Oh, shut up. Let me on your boat. <laughs> gets on his boat and preaches his sermon. When he gets all done, he says, Peter, let's go out. Let's catch you something now. You've worked so hard you haven't had anything. You ever been there before? And God, in his mercy, gives Peter more fish than he's ever caught in his life. And Peter, in his humility, says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. In other words, what's he saying? I'm not a church kid. I'm not like these other people. I'm not a good man. Jesus says what? He says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Because the fisherman hooked up with the preacher, and for three, three and a half years, he ran around and he rode through the night, and he worked in the helps ministry, and he beheld the glory, and he listened, and he took, remember, Jesus said, go down to the ocean and take a, a a hook and put it in, and when you catch that fish, it'll have a gold coin. Sorry, the sea, not the ocean. It'll have a gold coin in its mouth, bring it up, and all of these series of workings of miracles, and being around the church and the house of God, and seeing the power of what God could do with the life that really belonged to His. I don't know about you, but I love working in the ministry of helps because I like to see what God does. I like to be around the glory, I like to see the change that comes in a person's life. When, when Jesus met Peter, he was nothing. But the glory, say the glory. the glory. The glory began to touch that simple fisherman. And the glory began to touch John and James. You know, when Peter walked on water, we talk a lot of times about he doubted and had all of these problems. You know, no offense, but no one had ever done that before. They didn't teach that in his fishing classes. When you've been raised on the, on the water and you lose every time the storm comes up, you're kind of preconditioned. When that storm comes, you're not going to make this. And all of a sudden, Jesus in one command, come to me, changes all the rules. And Peter didn't hold it long, but he got a taste of the glory. He got a taste of what it's like to walk in the anointing. You got a taste. I don't know if you've ever had a taste of the power of God. It, it, it changes you. You talk about it all your life. You can remember it like it happened this morning. You know, when Moses stood and he blessed the children of Israel in his last days, he prays over the people of Benjamin's tribe, and he says, And I pray that you might know the power of him who met me in the bush. He hasn't seen the burning bush for 80 years. He's 120 now. He hasn't seen the burning Bush since he was 40. But the things of God mark your soul. The things of God, you walk away from everything. That's what happened to Peter and John. They, everything in their life changed when they touched the glory and the goodness of God. I would today that in this, in this house and in every church that the glory comes. Say the glory. Because when the glory comes, it changes everything about you and we're going to pause this here in Acts chapter 4. Go with me to the book of John if you would. Don't lose Acts 4. We're going to come back to that. John chapter Oh, sorry, Matthew 26. John's the other version of this. Matthew 26. If the preacher would know where we're going to help everybody else, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 26 is the story of when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. We're going to pick this up because I want to, want to introduce a character in our sermon this morning, uh, the high priest by the name of Caiaphas. You might say Caiaphas. I don't know. I never met him, so I'm going with Caiaphas because it's my sermon. Hallelujah. You preach it, you preach it your way. Praise God. Taking authority. I have dominion, at least for another half hour. Praise God. Verse 57, Acts chapter 26. Matthew. Matthew. Am I really that bad this morning? Hallelujah. We'll blame it on the glory and we'll keep moving. Praise God. 57. It says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And Peter, sorry, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he sat... And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end, right? So this, they capture Jesus, they take him away to Caiaphas' house. Now, we know that Peter grabs a sword, right, and he cuts off the one servant guy's ear, isn't that correct? I would like you to know that Peter did not aim at his ear. Peter is a bad shot. <laughs> Nobody aims at an earlobe. <laughs> right? This redneck, he's doing the best he knows how, hallelujah. But he isn't a seasoned soldier. He just grabs that sword. He's trying to do something. Even if it's a mistake, he's going to make something happen, hallelujah. So he's doing his best. Verse 69. This is all happening in Caiaphas's house. That's important. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, a servant girl, not even Caiaphas himself, a servant girl came to him, said, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him. Oh, these women in this place. (laughs) Another girl saw him and said, said to those who were there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath and said, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the word of Jesus and said, Behold, said before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so he went out and he wept bitterly. Remember that story? Go back with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 3, what, what we've read, Peter and John went, and sorry for so many Bible verses, but we're going to pull it all together here. Peter and John went into the temple. They healed that man at the gate. Beautiful. They preached. 5,000 people give their lives to the Lord. That's a good day. He wasn't even planning on pre- preaching that day, just going for prayer. Amen? You just get around, God, and good things will happen. Praise the Lord. Dr. Hicks used to say, he said, habits are like handles. Good habits give God something to pull you up with, bad habits give Satan something to pull you under. Watch your habits. Peter and John just, as they went to they went to the house of God, God began to use them. They Don't know what to do with them. 5,000 people get saved in the church. They're preaching Jesus. So the temple guard puts them in prison and holds them for the night. The next morning, they bring them out and they bring them out in front of the court. Acts chapter four, verse five. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So when they bring Peter out, And they put him there. Do you think he knows these people he's standing in front of? This is not only Caiaphas and the high priest. This is his whole family. You know, when we start teaching on Christmas and then Easter and then all the different happenings, sometimes these things get separated. But from the time that Peter denied the Lord to this day was only maybe six months. It wasn't like this whole expanse of time and Peter had been so grieved in his heart that he went out and he wept bitterly and now he comes out of this prison and who does he see? Remember, Jesus said, everyone's going to leave me and forsake me and Peter stood up and he said, oh, not me. Pastor, you don't know me. No, not me. I'll never leave this church. I, sorry. I'll never forsake you. But he did. The only difference I can find is that when Jesus told them to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed until the power fell. The others slept and skipped prayer. I would think then it's real urgent that we never miss prayer when pastor calls prayer, lest we do the very things we promise ourselves we're never going to do. And here he is, he comes out of that prison And standing there is everybody who just a few months before so intimidated him. He was so afraid of that he backed down and said, I don't even know this Jesus, the Messiah. But between that day and this day, Jesus called prayer in a little place called the upper room. And this time, Peter listened to his leadership. And in listening and living in prayer, he had a thing called the power of the Holy Spirit, and he touched the glory. And in that upper room, the fisherman became an apostle. And the power of God became realized on this simple man. And standing there, they ask him this question. Again, I'm going to say it. Do you know how far out of his element Peter is? The the high priest, he doesn't understand the original biblical languages. He was raised in the biblical languages. He was was the who's who. He was the high priest. Nobody got more education on, on scripture than this guy got. There's just one problem. He never touched the glory. And the fishermen had. And up he came and they asked him, They set him in the midst, verse 7, and they said, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of, of Israel. You talk about he's a God of the second chance. You talk about God will bring it back around for you again. You talk about God is bigger than your failures. If you won't quit, you won't give up what God can do with your life if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man and verse 9 and by what means he has been made well let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man stands before you well are you kidding me Caiaphas is trying to cut the mic cut the mic shut this guy up why? Cuz he has tried all these years and spent all this money to shut this one truth down. And now standing in front of him, do you know how much you would have do you know how much marketing you'd have to do to get this crowd together? If I advertised all month, I couldn't get the head of this city to come out here and hear me preach at 5,000 people. And now over one miracle. God just takes a simple fisherman and he puts him out in front of all of society. And he says, Peter, just tell your story. And he touches his nation for Jesus Christ. Because God is a God of the common man. You don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew. and You don't have to have highfalutin degrees. I'm not against degrees. I've got one myself. If you can get one, get a better job, by all means, go ahead, knock yourself out and get one. But the beauty isn't in what we know. It's in who's touched our hearts. The greatness of our God and the beauty of what changes a human life is in knowing that the common man can be changed into something beautiful by the power of Jesus Christ. That walking among people and touching people and talking to people and being a blessing to people, you can just tell them about the glory. Say the glory. and Just get up and begin to tell your story about what happens in a person's life. A few few months ago, I was driving along and I got some... Gal turned into me on on the street and she jackknifed the side of my truck didn't do a lot of damage but it did do some and uh, her car looked really bad but, so I like a pickup truck hallelujah and uh, so we're sitting there she's young she's probably 1920s, a little bit younger than my daughter in all honesty and and uh, she called her dad and then she started crying so I called a friend of mine that works with the local dealership it was just a quarter of a mile up the road and said hey you know can you help me get a wrecker? And he said, sure. He said, just, you okay? Everybody's fine? Yeah, we're fine. Just stay here. So I'm talking to this young girl, and tears are coming down. And I said, um, I said, who'd you talk to? She said, my dad. I said, you told him you were in an accident, didn't you? She said, yeah. I said, and he overreacted, didn't he? She said, yeah. I said, honey, you're always going to be daddy's little girl. All dad hears is, daddy, I was in an accident. He doesn't care how bad it is. He doesn't, let me tell you right now, his heart is racing. He could get a ticket on his way here to help you because he's your father. So, you know, I'm standing there. I'm 55, older, older, my daughter's older than she is. She's crying and I'm holding her, you know. I'm still in the ministry, hallelujah. I guess my critics would have loved that picture, praise God. I'm not going to just let her sit there. So we talked for a little bit and and I I got to know her and and we were talking and her dad showed up. So I let them talk and kind of calm down in the wreckers there. And so I said, you know, uh, he came over, dad apologized and this and that. And I said, you know, I said, I said, I got a couple of bucks in my pocket. Let me pay your deductible. So I pulled out, I had $250. I covered her deductible. Well, now she's really crying. I said, listen to me. I said, it's going to be all right. It's just metal. I can replace it. It's not a human being. We're going to be all right. Nobody got hurt. And uh, so we began to talk, and the tow truck driver was a Christian. He said, "Man, he said, you're uh, that's really something." I'm like, "This is what Christians do. Christians help people." I I was her. You don't think I ever made a mistake growing up? You want the whole list, or can we just do a chapter? Hallelujah. So we we're talking for a little while, and over the, this is how good the Lord is. I got a letter from her father a while later thanking me for what I had done, and he said, You know, do you plan on following any charges or this or that? I called him. I said, No, I'm fine. The truck's fine. It's, it's going to be all right. You know, it's not a big deal. Christmas morning, I wake up, and there's a bag of cookies on our front door from this girl just saying, Thank you. For letting Jesus shine through you that day I really needed your help the tow truck driver and I became friends I had an old truck I was trying to sell and I had to have it taken in for some maintenance work and I called him because we became friends I said hey would I'll pay you would you come tow this he said I'm gonna come and I ain't charging you nothing and uh, he said what are you gonna do with this truck I said well I'm trying to sell it um, you know I had three hundred and some thousand miles on it and it just it's had its day and I've already bought a new one, and, and I'm just going to sell this one, and, and we'll be good. But I tried and tried to sell it, and I couldn't sell it. He said, let me have that truck. So he came over, he picked it up in his tow truck. Cause I don't have a plate on it anymore. It's running good. I have a license plate on it. He towed it to some place, and he put it up, and in, in one day, sold for $4,000. 325,000 miles on it. That only God could take an accident. $250 deductible, turn it around into two friends, cookies and a $4,000 truck. <laughs> Personally, the cookies were probably the coolest part. But my, my, my son, um, Nathan, honestly, I want to just pause and thank the church here for helping my son. Nathan was here for about a year or two um, when he was going to flight school down this way, and you guys were just so good to him. You don't know how good it is to know that your son has a good church to go to where the world isn't going to get him. Can you say amen? amen. And uh, so just really appreciate all that you've done. Um, but my son's had, he's had a couple of kids. I see Zach here with your little one, and I'm thinking, gosh, who are these? <laughs> Did you go rent a kid? Are these your own? Where are these coming from? Amen. Signed one up down at the corner. Hallelujah. You no, know, life, life is going on. And so I, I had been wanting to get my wife something to just run our grandkids around with because they're kind of becoming of age. So I took that money and I bought her a used golf cart. And so now the grandkids are running around on what was the old truck, which was the accident, which was the girl. And God just keeps perpetuating his blessing and touching and touching and touching going to tell you a story I met my wife in 1985 I was just getting right with God you know I'm talking about just getting right with God like I still got problems sin and somebody had given her a book on prayer by a man by the name of Kenneth E Hagan and the last chapter was on being filled with the Holy Spirit and I fasted and prayed for a week And that night I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I was so excited. We didn't have cell phones. I'm so old. And I I had to walk to her house to tell her what had happened, that for the first time I touched the glory. We didn't do that in the Lutheran church. And on my way that night, I looked up in the sky. This is why I started to tell this whole story. And... The the stars began to move, and they went from a perfect, just the stars scattered, and they formed this cross, and then they would change into a seven, and then back into a cross, and back into a seven. And I didn't know what it meant. I just said, okay, just kept walking. It was about 11, at night. I went over and, and uh, woke Janine up. We were dating at the time, just ha- hitting on the window with the stone, you know, typical... Mushy stuff, guys don't want to know about, but that's what I did. And I told her, I said, My, it's happened, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I told her about this encounter, I had this vision I had seen on the way over. And I said, but I don't know, I got to pray it through and figure out what that means. Well, she did, and seven nights from that night, she got filled with the Holy Spirit. But it was the beginning, say the beginning, of getting a taste of the Glory. It was seeing what God would do. It was watching the gifts of the Spirit and manifestation. It was, when I when I met Pastor Barclay, it was the gifts of the Spirit. I didn't understand two-thirds of what he taught. I I, really, I I didn't argue with it. I just said, okay. But he stopped preaching, and he'd start to flow in the gifts, and the anointing would hit. I watched in a congregation, and he's ministered to a young lady over here, and a lady over here, and another young lady over there, and, and then... After the service, I found out that the, the, one was the mother and the other two were, were their, her daughter sitting in other areas of the sanctuary and the husband had died and he had prophesied over all three of them, picked them out perfectly in the congregation. And I began to see the glory. I began to see what it was like to have the gifts of the spirit in full manifestation. But I was just an usher. I was just a deacon. I, I, I couldn't get enough of watching Jesus Christ touch a life. he started start to minister and prophesy, and I would stand behind him and look through his glasses. I'd say, Lord, how has he seen these things? But I tell you what, they weren't behind his glasses because I kept peeking and I didn't see nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I was so hungry. You know what I'm talking about? I was so hungry. And all that while working in the ministry of helps, that's what was happening to Peter. He didn't realize he's being upgraded a little bit here and a little bit there, and he's getting used to the flow of the Holy Spirit. He's beginning to, to figure out how God works and what God does and what God doesn't do, and he's being turned into an apostle, and he doesn't even know it yet. Go prepare the upper room for me. Go, go get the hook and catch the fish. Go sit the, seek these 5,000 people down in 50s and 100s. Go take this fish and loaves and and give it to me and I'll bless it and then we'll feed the people. Go gather up the 12 different baskets of fragments. Go do this and go do that and a little at a time. The glory is beginning to hit the common man and the fisherman is being changed into a fisher of men. You start to come in and you start to work with the children or the children's church or the sound booth, you don't let anything drive you off. That's your place of authority that God gave you to have his visitation. you begin to see the glory touch kids. I'm not talking weird and prophesying over babies and all this goofy stuff. I'm talking about a true God-given encounter. Working with children. My wife began to go into the children's ministry and, and she calls it disciple land. You know, my wife had a We we wanted to homeschool our kids and needed a second income, so she began to run a daycare in our house. We thought it would be about three or five years. Twenty-five years later, we shut it down. She kind of took a pause from doing anything for a while. And after a few years, she felt led to go back into the children's ministry in our church. And she began teaching the word and teaching the word and teaching the word and teaching the word. Now we have little three and five-year-old kids quoting Galatians chapter 5. These are the fruit of the spirit. I mean, you understand some of these kids still got diapers on. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Our little granddaughter was throwing a fit, and her mother said, said, now what is the fruit of the Spirit? She said, I don't want patience anymore. <laughs> that would be the flesh. <laughs> Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't care what age you are. Jesus said, suffer, cause the little children to come unto me. You make, you make room for these kids. Let them touch the glory. Let them know the blessing of the Lord. Let them God told Jeremiah, I knew you even in your mother's womb. What's that mean? I already had a plan. I already got things set up for you. I have a I have a Bible school teacher for you in children's church. I have somebody set up to help you as you grow up. I have mentors already trained and raised up for you to preach the gospel, to have the gospel preached to you. I'm going to carry you all the days of your life. I didn't teach on one of my um, things I call it, focus and distraction. You know, Jesus came into the temple, and there's the man with the withered hand. Remember that story? It says, and the, and the Sadducees are there to see if he will heal on the, on the Sabbath day. That's just where you and I live. With one eye are your critics. With one eye are the people you're called to heal. They're, at the, they're in front of you at the exact same time. If you focus on your critics the people you're called to help never get their deliverance they'll stay they'll stay withered all their life because you couldn't get over your critics you push your critics to the side and you go help somebody for Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter how good you are at it how bad you are at it you just find a way to show up and be faithful working in the ministry of helps and over time you begin to learn it doesn't matter what people say god's called me to do something i can help somebody I can touch this next generation with the power of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Let me close and I'm going to just bless you this morning. Raise your hand to heaven. Father, I thank you for this great church and these wonderful people. May the glory, may the glory change us, the common man. May your spirit walk among us and change us. None of us, Lord, none of us is anything but you, You, you are the world changer. You are the the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, touch our lives. Talk to us. Be to us that great king that only you can be. And may we be changed like Peter, who went from the common man to an apostle of the Lamb. Whatever our place is in the body of Christ, may we find our niche. And touch our generation with the power of Jesus Christ from that place. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for
1: more information about this podcast and other resources.